the Eighth Circuit Network. We make things. Put them in your brain. Hello, folks. Boop. Thank you for interrupting my introduction, Kyle. <laughs> Let's try that again. Hello, Funky listeners, and welcome back to Funk Radio, your favorite podcast for all your favorite Funky hits. This is your host, Peter. <laughs> and this is Kyle. <laughs> yes, um, well, that's one way to start, start an episode, I guess. Uh, I wasn't trying to interrupt, I was trying to make a weird noise so that you could sync the two, the two sides, but I was a little bit too syn- synchronous with it. So, you were trying to sync a noise with me talking somehow. <laughs> I was trying to go make a sound that you could sync when you record our two when you put our two sides together, but I didn't realize I was going to end up doing it right as you started talking. You know, strangely, I think it might work even the way uh, that you did it. What, what, what are we talking about? <laughs> Today on Funk Radio, we're discussing funk and soul songs that we found that had kind of a motivational theme. I can dig it. Yeah. What's our first song today, Mr. Kyle? Our first song is Smiling, Styling, and Profiling by the Barkays. Uh, the Barkays were actually formed in Memphis, Tennessee, 19, 1966. They kind of grew out of the local group dubbed the Imperials, They and they modeled themselves after this the classic Memphis soul instrumental outfits like the Marquis and Booker T and the MGs. Who were also from... Uh, who were also from the Memphis Memphis, area. I think, yeah. And yeah, basically throughout the 60s, all the way really through the 80s, the group had dozens of charting singles, uh, including Soulfinger, Son of Shaft, which I love because it's hilarious, and Boogie Bodyland. It's funny, each one of those is actually in a different decade. Soulfinger was 67, Son of Shaft was 72, and Boogie Bodyland was 1980. Well, they did a lot of stuff. This particular song uh, comes off of their 1974 album, Cold Blooded which unfortunately isn't one of their more well-known albums and didn't even chart hmm. because it wasn't super-duper popular. That's okay. um, Yeah, I guess on that album, they recently got a new guitarist, Lloyd Smith, who joined when their previous guitarist left in 1973, as well as a new drummer. So they had a little bit of a new sound because of that. I don't know if that maybe didn't go over well with people, which is why the album didn't do very good, or, or if there was some other reason. Not sure. But um, this particular song, I actually stumbled upon it because it was they played it on um, the Soul, the what is it Soul Town XM station. Oh, okay. And I thought it was pretty motivational and funny, so. Cool. I figured we ran it. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's not really much more to say about the song because it's not one of their more well-known songs, but it's just one that I happen to like, mm. and it fits our little theme here. So. Cool. Um, should we play a little clip of it? Yes, we should. As we always okay. do. So yeah, this is uh, Smiling, Styling, and Profiling by the Barcades. But fried hair and the clothes you wear And trying to come off slick Don't mean a thing till you use your brain To see what makes you tick We hope you smiled, styled, and profiled to that last song. How do you... Okay. I'm not even going to ask. <laughs> I love racial profiling. That's not what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, do we, what do we have up next, Peter? So our next song is called I Need Help, I Can't Do It Alone by Bobby Bird. If you don't know, Bobby Bird was an R&B slash soul singer-songwriter 
who was well known as a pioneer in the soul funk sound, who was really well known for developing what that actually sounded like throughout the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And is also credited with actually the discovery of funk soul legend James Brown. In 1952, Bobby Bird was playing baseball against the inmates of the Alto Reformatory prison team and met James Brown, who was actually serving time there as on an armed robbery charge. So uh, at the time that he met James Brown, he was actually in prison. Pretty Would cool. you say he was a jailbird? Well, Bobby Bird wasn't in prison. I thought Bobby Bird No, was James Brown was serving... Who the hell plays plays baseball with prison inmates when you're not in prison? Well, maybe it's... Don't prison people, like, go out and play sports and stuff like that? And just I thought they just played it busy. like a... I thought they just played it, like, usually amongst themselves. That were like, there's, like, prison leagues or something. I didn't... Well, I don't know. But That's apparently they did that. But no, uh, Bobby Bird was not in prison, but James Brown was. And if you uh, know anything it. about James Brown, that's not too much of a surprise that he was yeah. in prison because he was kind of insane. But they became friends after this, and actually Bird's family oversaw Brown's parole, which is pretty cool. Bird later invited James Brown to join his group, The Flames, with Brown initially being the band's drummer, but soon he became a lead singer, claiming that um, the lead singer of a band gets the most attention from women. Which is another signature thing of James Brown, is getting with the ladies. So, um, kind of funny and sad at the same time. Uh, not very long after the group's releases started being advertised as James Brown and the Famous Flames, and in other cases being labeled as just James Brown by himself as a solo artist, um, the other band members weren't very happy about that. And they pretty much broke up after only a few sessions of this because they were like, if we're not going to get credit for it, why are we even doing this? So, um, they broke up. But even in the years following, uh, Bobby Bird continued to do work solo without the, those other people. But he continued to collaborate with James Brown on several songs, including the song I Need Help, I Can't Do It Alone in 1970, which is a song we're going to play in a minute or two. One thing is that in 1986, actually, um, the first committee of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame announced that James Brown would be inducted uh, into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, um, but they failed to include the other original uh, members of the Famous Flames, including Bobby Bird, Johnny Terry, Bobby Bennett, and Lloyd Stallworth. And this leaded to a controversy that lasted more than 25 years. I guess uh, what happened is that originally a lot of the people who were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame were inducted only by themselves, not with the bands that they were with that basically gave them that fame in the first place. Mm. So uh, finally in 2011, um, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame formed a special committee to discuss several of these pioneering groups who they felt deserved to be inducted with their front men who had been before, but they, the other people hadn't. And in this campaign, I guess they decided to let the other famous flames, including Bobby Bird into the rock and roll hall of fame without nomination, because it was under their premise that they should have been inducted in the first place mm-hmm. back in 1986. So isn't, the, isn't this, this correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't this the same premise under which the funk brothers eventually got inducted? Um, probably, yeah. Because they were the house band for Motown and basically were the musical genius behind every famous Motown song for like 12 years. But nobody really knew who they were until even somewhat recently. Yeah, I'm I'm sure it was, if it wasn't that exact same committee, I'm sure it was something very similar. Mm. Because, yeah, actually, that's a good point. That's a very similar case. So, yeah, that's a bit of the history of Bobby Bird and James Brown. Kind of cool. They should have formed a duet and called themselves Brown Bird. That would have been amazing. Well, we'll tell them to get on that, I guess. They're, I think they're both dead. <laughs> well, then it's too late for that, Kyle. 
I know James Brown is. I don't know about Bobby Bird. Let's well, find out. let's listen to a clip of I Need Help, I Can't Do It Alone by Bobby Bird. And while you're listening to that, I'm going to look up whether Bobby Bird is dead. <laughs> <laughs> I need help. was a clip of I Need Help, I Can't Do It Alone by Bobby Bird. Um, He's dead. <laughs> thank he you, dead. thank you, Kyle, <laughs> for informing us that, yeah, see, he did die um, on September 12, 2007, so about seven, six, seven years ago. So he cannot reform any bands at this point, but he did have a very uh, impressive career uh, back in the day, so... We're oh, that's did. so sad. But, James Brown died on Christmas 2006 and Bird died September 12th 2007 mm. they were the same age interesting they were both 73 that's kind of old yeah that's not that old yeah average actually considering how many drugs and stuff that James Brown did <laughs> I'm kind of surprised he made it to 73 touche yeah that's a so very that's very good point <laughs> same thing with uh, Rick James <laughs> yeah well, unfortunately, I think he died of drugs, but still. Yeah. Yeah. Live happy, the dream, guys. Happy, happy talks. Yeah. Well, so, why don't you tell us about our next song here, Mr. Kyle? Okay. <laughs> uh, the next song that we want to talk about is I Am Somebody by Johnny Taylor. For those of you that don't know, Johnny Taylor is an American vocalist who was in a wide variety of genres, including R&B, soul, blues, gospel, pop, doo-wop, and disco. That's a lot, That's of, stuff. A lot of words. Taylor was, this is, this is a funny story, actually, kind of a little bit similar to uh, the James Brown bird thing. Mm-hmm. Taylor was originally the replacement for Sam Cooke in his gospel band, The Soul Stirrers, when Cooke went on to make quote-unquote secular music. Uh, so Johnny Taylor basically, you know, held the band together for four years while Sam Cooke made off and went off and made devil music. <laughs> uh, and after four, after four years of doing that, he got fed up and was like, screw this, I'm going to go join my friend Sam Cooke on his label, Sir. And he did so in 1961. He was actually Cooke's first artist on that label besides himself, so that was kind of cool. He released a few singles on there, but unfortunately, due to Sam Cooke's untimely murder in 1964, Taylor was now stuck without a label or a direction. Mm. So, okay. among obviously the sadness of having his friend pass away. Right. So, in 1965, Taylor moved to Stax Records in Memphis, Tennessee. Just like the bar case. Yes. Where he was then dubbed the Philosopher of Soul, which is a pretty <laughs> awesome That's a new one. <laughs> the Philosopher of Soul. And while there, he recorded with the label's house band, Booker T and the MGs. His hits included I Had a Dream, I've Got to Love Somebody's Baby, both written by the team of Isaac Hayes and David Porter. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> and most notably his song, Who's Making Love, which reached number five on the Billboard Hot 100 chart and number one on the R&B chart in 1968. Kyle, who's making love? That's that song, Who's Making Love to Your Old Lady. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> I assume he probably didn't want to add the words your old lady to the title because that would be creepy. <laughs> it would cause everyone in America to be paranoid that someone is surreptitiously screwing their mother or wife, whichever you'd like to refer to as old lady. Do you have more facts about I Am Somebody by Johnny Taylor? <laughs> Besides infidelity, no. Uh, 
Well, the the song I Am Somebody reached number four on the R&B charts upon its release in 1971. It's not bad. Regarding Johnny Taylor's, I guess, later life, uh, once his sort of national hits dried up, he ended up joining the Malico label, which is considered a refuge of sorts for many Memphis soul and blues artists in the early to mid-1980s when soul fell out of popularity. Yeah. And he actually stayed there recording right up to his death in 2000. Wow. So, that's pretty cool. Interesting. See, he died too. Everyone's dead. That's this is sad. the dead. This is the dead people episode. This is even more <laughs> dead than the people that died of of all those sad, like causes. I don't think they're quite that dead. No, that's true. I think they're just sort of dead. They're just yeah, kind of dead of old age because these are all artists from the '60s. But whatever. <laughs> this is actually another song that I heard on um, Sirius XM that actually caused me to think about making this episode. Cool. Because I found it very motivational, and I'm like, hey, there's a lot of soul songs that are kind of uplifting and kind of, you know, I don't know, not make you happy, but make you pumped up yeah. in a sort of black power kind of way, even though I'm not black and I have no power. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't quite sure, quite sure how to respond to that. <laughs> this, yeah, this this song made me do the black power fist in my car. Cool. Uh, so yeah, let's listen to a little clip of I Am Somebody so that you can realize that you too are somebody. That was I Am Somebody by Johnny Taylor. Uh, quite an uplifting, motivational song. That's true. Basically saying, no matter how crappy you are at your job, you're still a person. Well, that's always good to know. Uh, so what do we got up next, Mr. Peter? Coming up next, Mr. Peter, is a song called Damn Right, I Am Somebody. Heh. <laughs> kind of similar to it's the last the one. Same, it's the same title. Yeah, somewhat. Um, by, by Fred Wesley and the JBs. Um, the JBs were actually James Brown band from 1970. Uh, through the early 80s. Now, um, when we were talking a few minutes ago about um, James Brown with Bobby Bird, I was saying that they recorded I Need Help, I Can't Do It Alone in 1970. Basically, early 70s, just around that time, that's when they were doing some collaborative stuff, Bobby Bird and James Brown, but also James Brown had his own band. I think he had actually uh, a couple of them, but each time the people would get mad and leave because he was kind of a a jerk. But in this particular group, um, the JBs, they formed in 1970, around the same time of that other song, and I guess they went on for 10, 15 years or so. Something I did not know is that some of the most notable names from the JB's initial lineup included bassist William Bootsy Collins and his guitarist brother Phelps Catfish Collins, what? as, as well as uh, Bobby Burb from the Famous Flames. The group's band leader, Fred Wesley, was responsible for much of the group's compositions and arrangements. So in 1975, he, along with Bootsy and Catfish Collins, all together left the band uh, to go join George Clinton's Parliament Funkadelic group, which is how they are pretty much known today. That's um, insane. I never knew that. Yeah, but I never knew that they all all of them were part of uh, the JBs prior to that. There, this is, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the, this is the guys that sang that song, uh, Past the Bees? I think so, yeah. Pretty sure it is. Yeah. And I love that song, that's why I asked. <laughs> so yes, the song, Damn Right, I'm Somebody comes from the 1974 album of the same name. I didn't have much more to say about uh, that album, or the song specifically, but um, uh, it's a pretty uplifting song. I would, It's primarily instrumental, but it is a really, I would say, an excellent 
uh, example of kind of the development of of the funk sound as they were i mean because james brown was basically at, at the front of this whole musical movement to discover what funk was mm-hmm. and uh, this being 1970 this is early on when they were still figuring figuring that out but i think this is a really good example of how that sound was transforming kind of a little bit of a, a jazz influence as well as well as soul and stuff like that so it's pretty good i enjoy it i can dig it so if nothing else it's motivational that james brown never stopped doing what he wanted to even when everyone else hated him for it <laughs> so you know they're making a, a james brown biography like a movie like a full-on biopic that's awesome let me get some facts on that real quick well while kyle's looking up facts let's listen to a clip of damn right i'm somebody by fred wesley and the jb's more you stupid rolling stone magazine i hate you uh the things we say on the show do not officially reflect our thoughts (laughs) toward the rolling stone magazine (laughs) uh oh the biopic is called get on up fitting cool uh and it has dan Aykroyd and jill scott Hmm. interesting okay dan Aykroyd will portray ben bart the president of the agency that represented brown for four decades who's playing brown uh, oh, the, oh! James Brown is played by the star of that um, Jackie Robinson film, 42. Oh, okay. That came out a couple years ago. Right. Uh, the star of that, his name is Chadwick Boseman. Hmm. And it will begin shooting this month, and that was back in November, so it's probably already shooting. Cool. The film, will fe- which features Rolling Stones frontman Mick Jagger, is co-producing. Hmm. Interesting. So that's, that's all I got on that. That's interesting. Well, though. that's cool to know. We'll keep yeah. an eye out for that. Indeed. Oh, remember they were going to do uh, a Marvin Gaye biopic? That's all up in flames. Oh, really? Because his family was like, we're not going to give you the rights to their songs because screw you people. <laughs> the same thing The <sighs> same thing happened with the Jimi Hendrix movie. Right, yeah. Remember Remember that rant I went on about how, like, about the whole copyright? <laughs> yeah, this yeah. This is exactly, this is exactly why I say that. Because yeah. usually when a famous person passes away the, their family holds on to their rights and milks it for every penny it's worth forever and ever and then you but know wouldn't that be getting more money for them i don't think it must not be money because, because i think they, a biopic would make a lot of money for them through usually, royalties and stuff it's usually a matter of them wanting control over the film and then it just turns into a circle jerk of like look at how great this person was rather than actually going in depth into the reality of who they were which like mm. for Jimi hendrix he's a good guy he did a lot of awesome music, but he was a terrible drug addict, and that's kind of why he died. But you think his family's going to want them to show, you know, have to show that in a film? No. no. So that's, well, that's why. Well, seems like James Brown's family doesn't seem to care, so. Same thing yeah. Same thing happened with that. Remember, uh, the Sasha Baron Cohen was going to play the lead singer from Queen? Uh, I didn't hear about that. Yeah, they were going to do a Queen biopic, and he was going to play um, Freddie Mercury but they wanted to show, you know, the reality of Freddie Mercury and the mm. whole gay thing and all that. Well, the other band members, did, the living band members, didn't like the fact that they were kind of not getting, you know, as much attention in the film as him, and because they still retain rights to the songs and such, they basically said, screw you. So because Sasha Baron Cohen wasn't able to make 
play the character as he wanted and make the film as he wanted. He just walked away and said, screw you guys. I'm not going to make it then. Yay. So that's three films that basically sound awesome that all got shot down because people were selfish. Hollywood. Yay. Well, on a more motivational thing we seem <laughs> to go the, into a lot of sense this is the opposite of motivational this episode is nothing about is, is nothing but death and copyright <laughs> nothing is certain but death and copyright <laughs> all right well why don't you tell us about our next motivational song maybe to lift our spirits kyle okay the next motivational song we have is wake up everybody by harold melvin and the blue notes um the uh, album, which is also called Wake Up Everybody, was released by the band on Philadelphia International Record Label in November of 1975. It was produced by Gamble and Huff, who we talked about before, very mm. famous duo of writers. And this would actually be the last album to, to include Teddy Pendergrass before he left the group for a solo career, which mm. we, may oh, yeah. or may not, we may or may not have talked about that before. We don't uh, really talk about Teddy Pendergrass on this show. Sadly. not. not and I have two albums by him, too. That's sad. This song, originally recorded by the band with Teddy on lead vocals, uh, had somewhat of an unconventional structure. It started more subdued and like low-key, but then it slowly built up into a climax of sorts. Mm. Because songs never do that, apparently. Um, The title track, this is the title track from that album, and it spent two weeks at number one on the Hot Soul Singles chart in early 1976. Mm. Bicentennial. Uh, Basically... It's a bit more of an uplifting sort of social, social motivation song, saying yeah. you know, telling people, hey, this because in 1976 they were even though there was it was the bicentennial, the the country was kind of in the grips of a bit of a recession, mm-hmm. under Peanut Farmer Carter. Basically, it was kind of just you know saying like, hey, we there's all these problems we have, we can fix these if we just work together, mm-hmm. but you know we just got to do things a bit a little differently than we were used to. Exactly. Um, and it's similar. Similar to a lot of these motivational songs, it's very timeless because it seems like every once in a while, society needs a kick in the ass to kind of, you know, move forward. <laughs> yeah. And not, and, and not, you know, to keep it from just regressing. Like right now. Yeah. Um, I think we're getting better. Slowly. Now, well, slowly. You know, I think we're getting really a very, very slow kick in the ass. Over the, over, the <laughs> over the course of time, everything always gets a little bit better. I yeah. read a article... I guess some famous rich asshole from Texas basically equated the the current distrust of the uber rich mm-hmm. uh, and the I guess Obama administration's likening you know the whole what do they call it equality equal, problem of equality where you know the rich get richer poor get poorer because right. that's never because that's basically been going on forever this rich guy from Texas basically equated it to the rounding up of the Jews before the Holocaust. That so is not at all relevant. Rich people, rich people, rich people being told, "Hey, stop being so rich and give some of the money back to ordinary citizens," is just like the Holocaust. Wow. Hold on, let me look up this guy so I can slander him in in person and not just be vague about it. Uh, <laughs> Funk Radio, we slander you to your name, not to your face. not anonymously. <laughs> Uh, Tom, oh, that's his name, Tom Perkins. He's Mm. some rich Texan who made his money off, like, land. Venture capitalist Tom Perkins wrote a letter to editors of the Wall Street Journal comparing the progressive war on the rich to Nazi anti-Semitism. It's a little Uh, bit extreme. Yes, he wrote, 
he wrote a letter to the Wall Street Journal. So, oh, that's uh, good yeah, to know. basically talking about you know the Occupy movement and the demonization of the rich embedded in virtually every word of our local uh, of our society. I perceive the rising tide of hatred of the successful one percent. <laughs> there is out. There is outraged public reaction to the Google buses carrying technology workers. Yeah, remember, you know, you heard about that controversy, too. Yeah. Uh, basically, yeah, the just, you know, people that aren't rich don't like seeing the people that are rich having that stuff rubbed in their faces while they're continually being screwed over. Yeah. Apparently, it's just like the Holocaust. So, well, yeah, more more happy stuff. Uh, well, I guess we know, need... Um, this, guy, this guy needs to listen to this song so he can... He needs to wake up. Wake up. Yeah, exactly. Yay, tie-in. Yeah. You too can listen to this song, Wake Up Everybody, so you can find the motivation for social change. When you yeah. teach the children to jump the very best you can. The world won't get no better if we just let it be. Na, 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 na. The world won't get no better. We gotta change it now. That was Wake Up Everybody by Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Um, before we move on, I also want to mention really quick that there's also a pretty good contemporary cover by uh, John Legend and the Roots. Oh, yeah. From like 2010, I think. Yeah, yeah, so I love that version. That's a good one, too. So, for our next song that we're talking about, it's called Brother's Gonna Work It Out by Willie Hutch. Um, the song was written and performed by Hutch for the 1973 black exploitation film The Mac. Um, the song's lyrics talk about love, respect, trust, and stopping crime and drugs on the streets, which are all very <laughs> common themes to the black exploitation film, as we've discussed before. Willie Hutch, if you don't know, was one of the premier singer-songwriters at Motown Records. I would probably say he was more of a more well-known as a songwriter, but he did record several albums of his own uh, as well. Um, he penned many. Uh, very famous songs by artists such as the Jackson Five, Smokey Robinson, and Marvin Gaye uh, throughout the early 1970s. And during this time, he also produced the soundtrack to the Mac in 73, and I think one or two years later uh, for Foxy Brown as well. I can dig it. Not a whole lot else to say about this song other than, yeah, I was looking at the lyrics and it was basically basically saying, you know, if, if we're fighting with each other, how are we supposed to make peace? and come together and solve our problems when we're worrying about the, the little differences between each other. You know, we need to put those aside and work together. Yes. What do you say? Thank you, Kyle. <laughs> Let's listen to a clip of Brothers Gonna Work It Out by Willie Hutch. We can get over, yet we're still Cause each man demands respect And they get an equal share And until you're giving him back There'll be no peace The brothers gonna work it out That was Brothers Gonna Work It Out by Willie Hutch. I almost bought a Willie Hutch album today, actually. I was really? at, a re- at a record store, which I never do, hmm. and I saw a Willie Hutch album, and I did not get it, and it had Brothers Gonna Work It Out. Oh. It was a repress, too, so it shows, his, bit, shows his recurring popularity. Repressibility. Yes. His... <laughs> I just imagine someone pressing Willie Hutch in a press. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they made the, the albums back in the day. He would be singing, and while he was singing... They would push his face in a press, and it would somehow <laughs> record that sound from his voice onto the album. But it's like the cartoons where, like, his face turns into the shape of the record. <laughs> oh, we're disturbing. Gosh. Uh, 
but yeah, like I like I was saying, uh, that was created for the black exploitation film, The Mac, and that was not the soundtrack to The Mac, was it? No. Okay. Well, I don't uh, know if I've seen that one. I've seen a number number of the black exploitation films, but I don't think I've I seen saw. The Mac. I saw the soundtrack to that as well. Oh, you did? Yes. Cool. Had, didn't buy it either. I don't know why. Mm. It was expensive. Oh, okay. Well, like I said, he also did the soundtrack for Foxy Brown, yes, um, which yes. is also very well known. Easily the soundtrack he did. Yeah, and it's also a really good movie. I really enjoyed it. Uh, same here. So, good stuff. Um, I can dig it. Speaking of bands that did um, soundtracks for black exploitation films, uh, oh yeah, next, the next song we have up is "Shining Star" by Earth, Wind, and Fire, uh, released in 1975 off of their album "That's the Way of the World." which I believe we discussed before, is a soundtrack for the uh, movie of the same name. But I remember Maurice White and the band wanted to have more control over that album so it wasn't so obviously tied to the film. Oh, yeah. So that they could kind of use it, you know, also. Just... Oh, because wasn't the movie, didn't the movie do, do really poorly, but because yeah. they disassociated with it with the movie, exactly. the music was actually popular? Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah and the song uh, itself was written by as we said before Maurice White Larry Dunn Philip Bailey and it was produced by White and it was their first major hit actually so the fact that they kind of dissociated themselves from the movie was probably the uh, smartest move they could have (laughs) made considering it was basically their breakout successful album yeah Um, it hit number one on both the US Hot 100 and R&B charts cool and this particular song is considered a prime example of funk music that obtained mainstream success. The concept came to White while he was strolling at night um, during the band's recording session of That's the Way of the World. He was inspired by looking up at the starry sky and took his ideas about the song to the other band members. The song is noted for the way the instruments drop out during the last repeated choruses with the group singing the final lines a cappella. Followed by the song's abrupt end. I know, I, I remember reading, this is one of the first songs to kind of do that idea, mm. where the last verse, the music drops out, and it's just the singer or singer singing, and then that kind of became mm. a mainstay that a lot of songs did. Right. Um, and still do. It's a cool little, I don't know, musical trick, I suppose. Yeah. It's funny, because this album was certified gold all the way up until the RIAA lowered the sales levels for certified singles in 1989, where a gold single equated to a million units sold. So, as we always say before, not only did they change the gold standard for albums in 76, they changed the gold standard for singles in 89. Oh, it's different for singles than it is for albums? Yeah, I think it was 500,000 and they bumped it to a million. Or no, it says they lowered it's, the sales. Gold is so 500, totally, now anyway... Or at least at that time, gold is 500000 for albums. I don't yeah. know what it is for singles. I so guess now it's just a million. Yeah. I don't know why they have that different. It seems... Uh, I guess it makes I sense. Population change, maybe. It's probably... Because when you think about it, you know, if, if, a sing, if a song is really popular, people don't necessarily go out and buy the entire album. They'll just go buy the one song. True. So... And it's also a bit cheaper to get the one song. So, I mean, I, I can see how... You know, comparatively, you would be selling a lot more of that single than you would of the entire album. So true. Should we listen to a clip of Shining Star by? Earth, oh yeah, Fire? I think we should. So to remind you all that you, each one of you is your own shining star. Yeah. And you can actually name a star for you or your significant other if you go through NASA's star naming website thing. 
It's a really <laughs> cheap. It's a really cheesy way to tell your significant other that they're a star. Yay. Well, you can think about that while you listen to this song. I can't really imagine. I can't really imagine that being like a "oh, you're so thoughtful" thing. If you say, "Hey, so I went to NASA's website I, and I, I put in your name," now there's a star could, apparently that no one cares about. That the sad thing, thing, the sad thing is that I typed in "name a star" after someone in Google. There's like ten different sites that let you do that. Well, because the, the stupid thing is, is no one. It's not actually the name of it. People are just saying, "Hey, look." I mean, I could point I to the th- sun and say, "Hey, that's your name." <laughs> You're like the sun. Ve- I don't. This is a very regulated industry. <laughs> the association for there naming is one that stars. Says Inter- International Star Registry. Oh, so there is actually something. There is one that seems regulated, but the other ones I think are just BS. Even this one. Even the regulated one's got to be BS. I don't even, care. Even this StarRegistry.com, the website looks like it was made in 2004. Hmm. If that. Well, maybe because it's like the light from the like the information about the stars takes so long to reach Earth. Oh, here we that go. That it's old. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So uh, it looks old fun. right now. But that's because it's actually 500 million years old. Fun fact. Uh, it says I. This is off of a, a website, Wise Geek. It says, "Can you really name a star after someone?" <laughs> and basically, no. <laughs> the I. The IAU. <laughs> Which um, is the International Astro- Astronomical something Universe. does not recognize these name these names that uh, of star services as official. So you're not really naming a star. You're simply benefiting a company <laughs> that came up with a great marketing concept. <laughs> uh, the these these companies assert that no one owns the galaxy or the universe, so their suggested names are just as valid. <laughs> no, Jesus owns the universe. <laughs> this is so hilarious. I think we just broke a major story that people didn't realize that star naming services are basically not not recognized by the international astronomical community. <laughs> well, there's nothing positive that I can say to so, make you guys feel better about if, that. If, you're, if your significant other does this for you, you can basically call them out as it being complete BS. I would probably do that anyway, even if I didn't know that. <laughs> it's like, okay. Thanks. Like, someone does it and you're like, dude, that's the Big Dipper. <laughs> it's already a thing. Are you calling me big? <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Okay. So that would Maybe. actually be cooler. I mean, just we can move on in a second. I was just gonna say, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be cooler if they had little bits of stars out way out that you can't see, but you could determine some kind of constellation of that and name it after yourself. Yes. To me, is it the constellation named after you would be way cooler than I would name a little dot. I, I think you probably know what's coming, but I would totally name my constellation Asiopia. Coming up next is a song called "Stand" by Sly and the Family Stone. This is the title song of their 1969 album, also called Stand, which was the breakout album for the band, and it was a certified triple platinum album, which is pretty cool. 
And as we were just talking about, that means three million. So platinum is a million for albums. I guess it's not for. I don't know what platinum is for singles. Um, the lyrics of the song "Stand" um, calls for its listeners to stand up for themselves, their communities, and what they believe in. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it has a very motivational message of stand up for what for what you believe is right, and you know you can make a change. That's pretty cool. Um, some of the lyrics, I'll just quote here really quickly: "Stand." In the end, you'll still be you, one that's done all the things you set out to do. Stand. There's a cross for you to bear. Things to go through if you're going anywhere. So basically, they're saying, whatever you do, there's going to be obstacles in your way. Um, but if you stand up for yourself, then you can withstand them. The song's original version, interestingly, did not meet with much enthusiasm with listeners. So Sylvester Sly Stone Stewart, um, the founder of the band and the main writer from most of their songs, uh, went back and re-recorded part of the song, and what's kind of interesting is that mo- at the time, most of the Family Stone was actually unavailable for that session, so when he re-recorded a big portion of this song to make it sound a little bit more lively and upbeat, he resorted to using mostly studio musicians for this portion of the song rather than the actual Family Stone. But it's also interesting because, you know, it started out with, the- they ran it th- by some listeners initially with the original version but people didn't the people thought it was nice but they didn't you know think it was that great but i guess just making some minor tweaks like that led it to becoming like i said this was their breakout album even though it was their fourth album this is when they really started to become popular and i think that album became one of the best selling ones of the 60s so it's kind of cool to see that you can sometimes make just a few small changes um, to a song and it'll become massively popular that is pretty cool just as an aside, because I looked, I was looking up, because we always seem to get confused about this, the certification thresholds. Yeah. You you are correct that a platinum is a million, diamond is 10 million. Uh, fun fact. For albums. I, yes. Is um, Johnny Taylor's album, who we just talked about before, mm-hmm. uh, Disco Lady, was literally the first album to ever be awarded platinum when they changed the rules in 1976 to uh, make platinum be a million. That's cool. Because before then, gold was a million, and that was like the highest. Right. And I guess I was just reading, I guess now with the prevalence of, you know, streaming and digital downloads, they had to rework the formula where downloads are counted as, uh, you know, album sales and single sales. And on streaming sites like Spotify and Rhapsody, every 100 streams is equivalent to one unit sold or one download. Interesting. Okay. So they count that towards that whole, you know, platinum selling, blah, blah, blah. Well, because I guess we've talked about before how... Each time you stream a song, it earns like a some fraction, like a of, a fraction cent of a cent for the artist. So I guess if you do like I say a hundred, maybe it adds up to a dollar or something. It not even not even that. So yeah, yeah, that's true. I'm not that. sure. Um, but I guess I figured that out. That's cool. I can dig it. Now, because you were saying Diamond is ten million, correct? Yep. Didn't they create that basically in the '80s because Michael Jackson was so popular that they had to create a new tier of uh, of music for that? I don't know if it was specifically because of him, but in the 80s, artists like him were becoming so massively popular like that that they pretty much had to add it. Because It, it said in the RAA creating multi-platinum award in 1984, Diamond Awards honoring those artists whose sales of singles or albums which reached 10 million copies was introduced in 1999. Oh. So maybe, maybe they did multi-platinum because of jackson okay i must have remembered that incorrectly then but diamond was introduced in 99 oh okay well now we know indeed sorry Um, to contradict you 
No, it's well. You should be contradicting me if I'm wrong. Sorry, sorry <laughs> to present facts. We don't do facts here. We call people names. Yeah. Well, we can do both. <laughs> yeah. And good. we also listen to songs, as we will do right now with "Stand" by Sly and the Family Stone. That was a clip of Stand by Sly and the Family Stone, a very uh, motivational song. And also, consequently, the last of our playlist of motivational songs for this episode. Yep. We hope that the songs we chose today inspired you to stand up for yourself and go accomplish the things in life that you might not have believed that you could do, but now you do. Hopefully. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to go become an astronaut now. Okay, bye. And then you can go fly out to the stars and name them after yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I, can f- I can fly into the sun and name it after myself. So in, the, in your honor, they renamed the sun, Kyle. Yeah. Kyle shines upon us today. <laughs> I am a god now. So yeah, that was our little motivational episode. We hope we motivated you guys to be more awesome. But you already are awesome to us. And we hope we're awesome to you. And if you do think that, we hope you're motivated to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash getyourfunk. And we also hope that you're motivated to subscribe to our podcast, Funk Radio on iTunes as well. And I guess also follow us on Spotify. We do um, make Spotify playlists of the songs we talk about in the show, because as you notice, we only played clips because obviously legally we can't play the entire songs, but with Spotify, we can create a public playlist that you can use to, to listen to, to the entire songs so that you can get a better idea of these, these artists and the context that we've been talking about in the show. So that's pretty cool. And we'll post that on our Facebook page. Uh, so yeah. I guess this is us signing off. This is your host, Kyle. And this is your host, Peter. Um, Have a good weekend if you listen to this on the weekend, which you probably won't, because it takes us a while to put this together. That's true. In in post, we have to add lens flares and explosions and stuff, you know. Yeah, it's hard to do when it's all audio. Lens flares are a little bit difficult. Yeah, we just have to go swing. For more podcasts and the latest news in gaming, movies, and entertainment, visit 8thCircuit.com.